0: Hey, welcome to Parker's Pensies. This is a bonus episode uh, of the podcast. I might just keep this on YouTube. If you're listening on audio, then obviously I didn't. But uh, I got some breaking news. And we don't do breaking news here on the podcast very often. But I'm pretty excited about this. Um, real quick, before we get to the breaking news. Hey, subscribe to this channel if you're watching this. Um, you'll get lots of really good content. Just do it. Subscribe. And also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, that means I did upload it to the audio. Would you just leave me a five-star review? like? It's not that hard. Just click. Uh, most of you listen on Apple Podcasts. Just leave me a five-star review. That would be huge. Thank you. And then uh, if you guys like this this channel, if you like this podcast, uh, if you want to see it, keep, uh, keep around. If you want to keep this channel around, you want to see me here more, talking with guests, serving you in this way, please uh, consider becoming a Patreon patron. Link in the description. All that good stuff. Big news. And I'm stoked for it. So uh, without further ado, let me just pull in the person who's breaking the news. Dr. Ryan Mullins. Man, uh, I'm stoked about this, and I, I, I'd like to puff myself up a little bit and say that I guessed this news, but uh, man, man, what, what's what's up? What are we talking about?
1: Okay, so I've only got one semester left at the University of Helsinki, so looking forward to figuring out what's next. And so one of the big exciting uh, pieces of what's, what's the next chapter for me is I'm going to be a visiting professor of philosophy at Palm Beach Atlantic.
0: Let's go. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Which which for those who don't know, that means he's going to be my professor. And this is going to be awesome. Uh, Exactly. I'm so stoked. So uh, you're going to be a visiting professor and the class that you're teaching is going to be contemporary topics. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so what's the content of that of that class that you're teaching?
1: Yeah. So the idea is, um, was like it's like every other year I'll be coming down and doing a super intensive course. And so for this first one, this is going to be in January of 2023 mm-hmm. is what we're looking at. So I'll be coming down for a week to hang out with everybody there, all the master students and giving you a super intensive course on God, time and creation. So we'll okay. be looking at models of God, providence, creation, life after death, this kind of stuff.
0: That's huge, man. And we've talked a lot about this stuff on, on the podcast. I think this is like your fourth time on. I think um, yeah, I think that's right. Which is fantastic. I, I thought about this and I thought, um, what if someone thinks, well, you know, I've, I've heard of all this stuff. I listened to the Reluctant Theologian. And I thought, man, if you've listened to that, then you're primed to take this class. Like you're primed mm-hmm. for it and you get to come and ask your questions. Uh, so you said it's a super intensive. That means you're going to be there on campus, right?
1: hmm Yeah. So the way these intensive courses work is they bring somebody down for and they're there for like the whole week. And so I think it's like four days mm-hmm. of of just like we're just in the classroom, we're teaching, we're debating, we're like discussing. Eight hours. Yeah. 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 It's a long day. Um, but I I used to do this with uh with Keith Yandel during my master's, just happened yeah. for like the whole weekend. And it was just it was just, yeah, it was great. And then uh just just to get to hang out and get to know the students more uh is kind of the big idea. So yeah, just super intensive stuff, just gonna go. All right. Here's some basic philosophy of time. Now let's get some like really nitty gritty details in philosophy of time, and then just see what are the theological implications for all of this. Yeah, for our Christian beliefs. It's so. Yeah, it'll be much more detailed than anything I've done on the podcast because you can only get so detailed on, right. on when you're talk, trying to talk to the public. Whereas this is, I'm like, you're master students. You're trying to master something. We're yeah, going to get detailed. Oh man, that's good. And I,
0: I thought about that too, because uh, like I was telling, telling you off air, I think of this podcast as like an office hours for my guests. I always read their stuff beforehand, try to come up with my own questions, but like, these are my questions. And so you out there listening, you can come ask your questions uh, of Dr. Mullins, which I think is just awesome. So you get to hear, you've you've heard our conversations you've heard his conversations but then you get to go hey i heard you on this this and this what do you think about this and then you get to you know write a paper for him which which would be awesome um i did notice i was looking up your stats uh, before this you're like a, you're a member of like a velocity of time like association or something can you can mm-hmm. you just say something about that
1: yeah. So the Society for Philosophy of Time, um, it's this group based out of primarily based out of Germany, but we we do this annual. Well, actually, they do a bunch of different workshops, little workshops all over Europe on just a tons of different topics in philosophy of time. And the one that I've, I've always participated in is this annual workshop on God and time. Okay. So we've had one, the first one was in, um, was in Bonn, which is where, uh, Beethoven is from. Okay. So like, I'm just wandering around Germany this, like this one day, like before the (laughs) conference and like, I'm like, where am I? And then one of my friends who's, she's like, uh, she plays bass and works for these, all these orchestras. And she's like, Beethoven's house is just down the street. And I'm like, Oh, and she's like, you didn't put any thought into this, this (laughs) trip, did you? And I'm like, hello so yeah so like i've just been able to take you to some really cool places we've done that we did we were in vienna uh we were in lugano which is in switzerland um this year we're going to be in uh ireland we're going to we're going to ireland this year for okay. the for the workshop so yeah it's 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 a really cool network and it's i've been able to meet so many interesting people working on cutting edge stuff in philosophy of time and trying to yeah. figure out like how does this fit with theology and religion dude that's so awesome yeah so um
0: I brought that up because it kind of just just bolsters like this is why you're teaching the class because you are mm-hmm. someone in this field. Just real quick, is there a is there a consensus in the philosophy of time on uh, a different model of time? Like, are they
1: a theorists Are they b theorists? Is it all over the map? Oh gosh, it's all over the map. There's even debates about if the a theory b theory distinction is really useful and what that sure. really means. Yeah. Uh, whereas like ontology of time, most people are pretty clear on what those distinctions amount to yeah but like a theory b theory ooh, it gets kind of dicey and then okay. people are just they're just everywhere i mean they just follow everything which is what's forced me to really think through okay let's really look at all these different views and see what are the implications so it's not just like presentism and eternalism or yeah. a theory b theory it's like oh actually yeah, there's like 12 other options here and <laughs> i'm like Okay, well, what does that do for um, I don't know creation or life after death? And yeah, so yeah, so it's 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 forced me to think through a lot more issues than than I originally realized were even available.
0: Yeah, dude, I love that. I'm I'm like trying not to get too excited about the research paper I want to write for you, but <laughs> sure. but like growing spotlight and God that would mm-hmm. be awesome. Um, so yeah, so God, time and creation. I'm excited about that. Uh, I while I've got you here though, I've got a couple of just questions mm-hmm. about some of your pieces and. I I didn't do you justice when I was talking with uh, Linda Zygibski about Omni subjectivity because you got this creepiness mm-hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. thing, and I, I just kind of roughly brought it up to her, but I didn't I didn't like go over it beforehand, and I should have. Um, but a lot of my listeners will have, have that fresh in mind because we I just had her on. Can you I, I'm you know pulling this out of nowhere? Yeah. Can you just lay out the creepiness um, problem for Omni subjectivity?
1: Yeah, it's a problem that because I haven't heard the inter- your interview with Linda r- yeah. recently, but she just sent me an email after your uh, interview, and she was like, "Hey, I really need to read this paper." Yeah, because you, you ke- I keep getting asked about. it. I was like, "Yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff on on omni- omni- subjectivity, like that's coming out." So here you go. Um, so it's it's a it's a problem that she touches on, and I think she actually does answer, but she didn't seem to think she had fully answered it. So here's here's the big idea. So. You, if you say God's omnisubjective, you're going to say he has like maximal empathy. He is supposed to be able to have this perfect conscious grasp of all creaturely conscious states. So he really understands your first person perspective Mm -hmm. to like in every single detail. So he feels all the things that you feel and he understands exactly how your evaluations go. And so the problem of creepy emotions, the way it initially goes uh, with like Richard Creel is just to go. So God feels everything I feel. Mm. So you, you're saying God feels horny. And you're like, <laughs> oh, it was really uncomfortable to say God's horny. And then the right. way I kind of tw- try to twist the knife a little bit, just rhetorically is like, well, okay, there's these panentheists who say that the universe is God's body. Yeah. And you want to say God's like maximally horny and we are God's body. And oh, gosh, that just I, that just it just feels like creepy at this point.
0: Yeah. Ugh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chad Chad McIntosh was like, "Hey, did you bring up the horny god objection?" I'm like, "I I don't phrase it like that, but um. <laughs>
1: yeah, hardly anybody does." But, um, but yeah, I I was chatting with a uh, Ross Edman um, at a conference in in uh, in Texas a couple months ago, and and he hadn't heard that phrase yet, and, mm. but he had like a student come up to him like going like, "Oh, because I think they were talking about obvious subjectivity in class," and he was like, "Yeah, but how do we?" how are we going to deal with uh, the horny God objection? You know, the one that Mullins is talking about and (laughs) and Ross was like, excuse me, what now?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's wild. Yeah. So um, do you have, are are you
1: sympathetic to omni subjectivity? I am. I've got some worries about it though um, because I think I can make the, what I try to do in the creepy objections paper is try to make the argument even more precise uh, to try to really nail down what the problem exactly is, because yeah. you can maybe just be like, well, so what's wrong with having creepy emotions? Yeah. Uh, and so here's the idea. So if you're a passibilist, you want to say whatever emotions God has, they have to be perfectly rational mm. and, uh, and consistent with God's perfect moral goodness. Yeah. Cause you don't want God having like immoral emotions. Okay. Uh, and there's different examples of how this is supposed to go. So Richard Creel just throws the horny like uh, example out there, but he doesn't do anything with it. The yeah. one he focuses on is, um, a sadist, uh, torturing an innocent victim.
0: Yeah. That one seems good. I mean, yeah. horrible,
1: but yeah. 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 Well, right. Exactly. It's a good example for the argument, but it's, it's awful in real life. <laughs> yeah. Cause what you want to say is like, well, okay. So the, the sadist is like delighting in mm-hmm. the, in torturing the innocent person and you want to go, that's wrong. Like that's morally wrong. Like you yeah. should not delight in that. Yeah. And, and so you go, okay, well, if God knows what it's like to delight, in torturing an innocent victim, well, then that's an immoral emotion. Yeah. And, and then if you add another kind of claim, which I think is, 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 is very plausible, which is that moral considerations are rational considerations. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing something immoral, you're doing something irrational. Yeah. So if God has this immoral emotion, then you could say, well, he has an irrational emotion because he's got the wrong evaluation of yeah. the situation. He's, he's got, the, so you can be like, ah, oh, well, then God's emotions are not perfectly rational and they're not perfectly moral.
0: Yeah. So, so um, I've wondered about this. I asked, I asked uh, Dr. Zeg, Zeg, I'm going to call her Linda. I asked Linda, I understand that I I shouldn't, but her name's too hard. Uh, Does God know what it's like for, for Parker to eat a Chicago style hot dog? And does God know what it's like for God to eat a Chicago style hot dog? And she wanted to say, yeah, for Parker, omni-subjectivity and uh, through this mechanism or tool of empathy, and yet, you know, for, for God, no, he'd have to incarnate or maybe he has counterfactual knowledge or, or something like that. And I, I think that's right. I wonder if that distinction works with the creepiness that God knows what it's like for Parker to have a creepy emotion, but it's not like it doesn't transfer into like a first person perspective for God. Um, so yes. God knows it. What, what do you make of that?
1: I think that's right. And that's basically what she alludes to in um, her Aquinas lectures on omnisubjectivity. Okay. And okay. so what I tried to do is just, detail it, like a tease it out a little bit more and get some more options on the table. So, so yeah, so it's, so whenever I empathize with you, I'm like, well, this is what it's like for Parker to feel this way. Yeah. Uh, And I can feel those feelings and everything. And then then there's also, it's something that it's like for me to empathize with Parker. Yeah. Uh, And those are two different states. Okay. Uh, And me empathizing with you doesn't mean I agree with your emotions. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so that's how you get out of that's at least like I, for what I call the Zygzevsky option for getting out of the problem of creepy emotions is to yeah. go, well, God it, it knows what it's like for the sadist to delight in these things. And then there's also this other state of affairs, which is God empathizing with knowing what it's like to empathize with the sadist. Yeah. And then God makes his own judgments on that going like, that's what it's like for you to delight in uh mm-hmm. torturing innocent. That, that, that makes me feel like revulsion. Uh, yeah, you know, and then all the strong language you see in the Old Testament of like got very upset um, yeah. when he when he sees you doing these horrible things, and, and you're like, well, that makes sense because there are times when you empathize with someone and you go, I understand why you feel that way. I still, I just, I just can't, I cannot accept that this is the right like way to feel or view this this situation. Yeah.
0: No, that's really good. I, I think she, yeah, she uses the language. I'm trying to look through my notes, but something she uses like entertaining, and I forgot the philosopher. Mm-hmm. You can entertain this, uh, and she pulls from someone. I I thought that was good. Mm. Um, what though, I think I brought this up to her too. But uh, if you're using the empathy model, it seems like you would need me to be born in order and, and have these experiences in order for God to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're if you if you're like a block uh, you know four dimensional block universe type thing, uh, okay everything's happening at once once God creates it whatever you do with God and and time there. But if you're an atheist, I wonder how does God have knowledge that what it's like for Parker to stub his toe tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Uh, if that's not the if that's not the case yet, I guess what do you what do you yeah. make of
1: that you know what I mean i see what you're getting at so there's a couple issues that you could get into so one is zexexy's claim that um that omni extends to counterfactuals
0: yeah oh yeah yeah
1: so yeah so so one so one issue is like okay so imagine god all alone not created anything yet yeah and can god empathize with all these possible worlds to figure out which world to create yeah and then from there um Depending on what theory of time you've, you want ontology of time you want to put in there, you can ask this question of, like, well, okay, so does God empathize? So say presentism is true. Well, can God empathize with all those things that are happening in the future? Mm. They're not happening because um, they don't exist. Right. Uh, so can he empathize with these non existent states? And on internalism, you'd be like, well, the whole block's there. Right. Um, is there something there for God to empathize with? Yeah. So I think these are important issues. So, um, and the answer I think kind of boils down to something similar. So let's start with the, the case of God all alone hasn't created anything at all. Yeah. And he's like, okay, what universe do I want to create? And what kind of universe do I want to create? And you know, what's going on here? And then in Zygzebski, she's like, okay, well, God, uh, in order to figure that out, he has to somehow empathize with all these possible worlds mm-hmm. and uses his omnisubjectivity subjectivity to do that. So that way he fully comprehends this is exactly what it would be like to create this universe. Yeah. And I want to say, no, that's not possible. Not at all. And here's why. Because empathy, part of what it means to empathize with someone is not simply knowing that you have an emotion. Uh, so, it's, so that's part of it. I know that you have an emotion. I also know what it's like to have that emotion. Mm-hmm. And then something about you, something on the basis of you is what grounds my emotion. My, yeah. Yeah. And if you yeah. don't exist, if nothing exists other than God, there's nothing to empathize with. Mm. Possibilia? Uh, possibility aren't the sort of things you could empathize with. They don't have conscious states. Right, right. So you're not, there's nothing to grasp. Yeah. So y- yeah, you could say God uses his imagination, I guess, but that's still going to be qualitatively, or yeah, it's still going to be a different kind of experience from uh, experiencing an actual universe.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I really like omni-subjectivity and I've had this concern too, um, after studying some philosophy of mind type stuff, but but it seems it seems like it's even a problem for omniscience because if that's the case, and we go with Mary, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Mary has, for those who don't know, Mary is a color specialist who has all the physical facts, but she's never seen color before. She comes to see color and, and has a new quality experience, and people debate whether that's a new concept or knowledge. But it seems like it's knowledge. God could have all these uh, imaginary facts about me, like, and he's a perfect imaginer, perfect reasoner. He could know in that way but until i have that qualia state of tasting coffee god wouldn't know what it's like for parker to taste coffee in the qualia sense he would know mm-hmm. all the facts about it and stuff maybe that's enough for a perfect reasoner or something but it doesn't seem like it seems like this di- a categorical
1: you know difference oh so you're worried like if god couldn't know that then he wouldn't be omniscient yeah it seems like a problem for omniscience i don't think it is um so if you take omniscience, so here's one definition of omniscience. Uh, God knows all the facts. Whatever the sum total of facts are, God knows them. Mm-hmm. Well, if if that sum total of facts does not include what it's like for Parker to drink coffee, well, okay, fine. Um, God still <laughs> knows it then. Uh, and so here's here's a way to see this kind of play out. So like open theists, they, lo- they love to make this strategy to say like God's still omniscient because, you know, he knows all the facts. They're just about the future, Lim- yeah. there's just aren't yeah. There, aren't there are much. no
0: facts there. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, well, you can do the same thing to the Molinists and the and the Calvinists as well, because the the Molinists and the Calvinists they have this distinction between God's natural knowledge and God's free knowledge, and uh-huh. then the Molinists are like, I'll give some middle knowledge in between. Yeah, those right. Two. Sneak it in. So, but we can ignore that for the moment. So, uh, uh, God's natural knowledge, um, he knows all the necessary truths, mm-hmm. and uh, but there's no truths about what will happen in the future because he hasn't determined anything yet. Yeah so will god create a universe he doesn't know that uh, because it's just there is no fact of the matter yeah does god know which universe he's going to create well no there is no fact of the matter it's not until he freely decides to create and then on the basis of his free knowledge then he has foreknowledge yeah and they'll be like oh well it's all happening in, at once in eternity it's just a different logical moment yeah
0: logical there. moments <laughs> yeah right.
1: from all eternity god did not know and did know what he was going to create yeah, yeah, no that's i'm a sorry that's that's nuts um so, but yeah, and, you if, you, and if you don't,
0: if you don't have that distinction, and it's a necess- it's all and it's necessary, then you get modal collapse because oh, it's yeah. like, well, God was forced to
1: create. Yeah, and I'm necessary, yeah. and me drinking coffee is necessary, and that just seems crazy because, yeah. like, clearly, like you could have been like, no, I didn't, I ha- didn't, I did not have to drink coffee today. Yeah. like, come on, God did not have to create a universe. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, even within these distinctions that you you see within like more like traditional kind of views, like within Calvinism and Molinism you have this idea that there are certain things that God does not know at certain points in either logical moments or actual yeah. moments. Yeah, yeah, dude, that's good.
0: Yeah, there's logical, because you can pin anyone with that because mm-hmm. they have the logical moments. Yep. So there's a logical moment where he doesn't know if he's going to create or not. And if he yep. does know that he's going to create, then it, be, then it seems like mortal collapse.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, so so basically the, the, all, all it does is illustrate this point of, if you say that omniscience is just knowing the sum total facts of reality mm. and if something doesn't fall in there uh well does it not strike against omniscience because omniscience is just knowing the sum total facts of reality and that seems to fit with anything that an open theist a calvinist a Molinist are going to want to say
0: yeah yeah okay so what if what if someone said oh shoot this is tough dude um <laughs> that's all right because we don't want to we don't want to have a lot of people don't want to have God uh, changing. And there's also a yeah. problem with creation. We've talked about this and, <laughs> and uh, whether that's an external relation or internal or whatever. So, um, oh, I might have just lost what I was thinking. This is, oh, yeah, okay. So God's omniscient, like, qua um, the existence of the world, including, oh, you sure know, it. whether there are abstracta or not, but the whole world, not just the universe. Um, but prior to the creation of the world, God could have had god could have been less than omniscient all there is to know is himself and the possibilities that he could create or not what, what, is, is can we get out of it by saying that i don't I, so
1: um ben You're arbor like has a yeah. yeah ben arbor has some arguments like this because he wants to say if god creates an open theist world then god's not doesn't have as much knowledge or he wouldn't be omniscient so why would god create an open theist world why would he oh, want to yeah He's like limiting so he kind of makes this move. Yeah.
0: That's not I, so bad in a Christian view, because we think that God, you know, in the incarnation, he... Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but Ben wants to use that to try to argue for, like, a, a moving spotlight theory of time to oh, say, okay. like... Okay, now I'm interested. Exactly. I thought you'd be interested in that. Yeah. So you've got this eternal block of time, and you've got some other kind of thing that, like, flows along it to say, like, that's the present. No, now that's the present, and so on. Um, I want to go, well, no. No, no, no. If omniscience just is knowing the sum total facts of reality... Well, if God decides to create an open theist world or a world with a moving spotlight, well, either way, he's going to be adding facts to reality. Yeah. So you haven't changed the definition of omniscience. You've changed the content of God's knowledge, but that's true either way you go. Because Mm -hmm. you go from God knowing the sum total facts of reality are I and I alone exist to knowing, oh, I created an open theist world or, oh, I created a moving spotlight. Look at the moving spotlight go. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know how you can really avoid changing God's knowledge unless you want to go um, just with a full eternalist ontology of time, which is all moments of time equally exist, and they're all co-eternal with God. So there is no state of affairs where God exists without this created universe. Yeah. You could do that. There are yeah. consequences. I can tell, tell you what those are <laughs> in a second. But um, Yeah. yeah. Well, so that's like eternal creation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you lose creation to me,
0: Yeah. And that's wild. And then also, I love... How you've motivated that. You just like, you know, you didn't poison the well in like the, uh, the, uh,
1: in the fallacious, informal, sense.
0: yeah, in the informal yeah. fallacy sense. But it, the well has been poisoned for me because of you, because it's like, well, we, we talk about eternal generation and I'm still, you know, whether the sun is autotheos mm-hmm. or not. But I don't like that language being also applied to creation, like eternal creation, eternal generation. It seems like now we're getting a little too close mm. with our doctrine of creation and, and uh the the second person of the trinity
1: yeah because if you do want some clear distinction to be like the sun is not created <laughs> well yeah the eternal the eternal generation is supposed to be it and you're like well god's right. also eternally generating the universe oh it's not great That's yeah not it's great. not great yeah. i mean some people will be happy with it because some people are like well yeah the sun's not fully divine he's the firstborn of all creation um yeah. I, I don't i don't want to say that but no. I think, but <laughs> but, you, but you can these are options you can have you know yeah
0: yeah. yeah you could but but should one and and the answer is no um okay 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 so we got that um you're gonna be talking about models of god too mm-hmm. um any chance we're gonna get into like uh panentheism or yeah panentheism type stuff mm-hmm.
1: yeah so what we'll most likely be doing is we'll be going through my book from divine time maker to divine watchmaker nice yeah so um the the manuscript is basically done i'm just gonna like next week i've got this super secret um uh, workshop on it with a a bunch of specialists and some (laughs) grad students and whatnot that are reading through the manuscript and so they'll give me their feedback and i'll revise it and send it out so by the time i teach this course hopefully that'll be probably it'll probably be the pre-published uh draft because how long it takes to publish a book yes is painful um so yeah we'll probably just be reading like this is the forthcoming book. And so what I do is I take, I primarily focus on classical theism, neoclassical theism, open theism and panentheism. Okay. So we'll have a lot of discussion on panentheism.
0: That's going to be huge. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really excited for that. And I think your work on panentheism is going to be more and more uh, relevant as panpsychism comes up Mm -hmm. because as, um, as like Philip Goff, a friend, he's coming on the podcast uh, as as his work grows more and more christians are like well what at panentheism why don't we suck that in and then mm-hmm. i'm always like well i've got a paper for you to read because <laughs> it's really hard to demarcate panentheism mm-hmm. what the heck are we talking about so um have you have you i remember last time we talked about it you said you'd you'd be uh updating revising that kind of stuff have you thought more about panentheism is it able to be demarcated yet or
1: I, I think so to some extent. So uh, w- that's one of the things I do in the book manuscript. And then I have two other papers that are coming out. One is on um, the axiology of mm-hmm. uh, of panentheism. So uh, Kirk Lougheed, he's written a lot on sh- uh, this problem of like, should we want God to exist? Yeah, like, yeah. Was, would that make the world better or worse if God mm-hmm. exists? And so he's got this forthcoming book just looking at here's all these rival models of God and and you know, what model of God, what is, how does that impact the values that exist in the world? And so they asked me to do the the panentheist uh, chapter. And so like, first thing was like, okay, if it's going to be valuable, it's got to, it's got to be distinct from these other rivals. Uh. Otherwise, should I want a panentheist God to exist? I don't know. Like, would, yeah. would, would it would it make a difference? Because uh, uh-huh. it looks exactly like all the other ones. Um, and then another paper I've got is this uh, forthcoming book on panentheism in uh, Western and Eastern philosophy. Mm. And so I'm that one, I'm looking at a lot of, uh, a lot of Hindu and a lot of Jainist, uh, text and to try to like look at some different things there. So the main thing to demarcate it is going to be this. So you're going to have to say that something unique about the nature of God entails that God has to create a universe. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, so you are trying to dig in there and then you have to say something unique about the nature of God that explains that catchy slogan that the universe is in God, but God's more than the world. Right. Right. Uh, and so w- we talked a bit about, I think on the last time I was on, or one of the last times I was on, about the way to cash out that catchy slogan, which mm-hmm. is you could make uh, space and time attributes of God. Yeah, But you could also be a neoclassical theist and affirm creation out of, out of nothing and say that, because that's exactly what Isaac Newton and Samuel Clark said. Right. Um, and so there's been some some interesting pushback So uh, on, on that. Because, um, so there's this book that came out about a year or two ago on panentheism, and, uh, I think it's Carl Pfizer, I think is his name, or Pfeiffer, uh, Carl Pfeiffer. Okay. And so he points this out, saying, like, yeah, okay, like Ryan's done some interesting work to kind of push this agenda, uh, to like try to demarcate panentheism, but he's like, that doesn't work because you could have some other model of God say that t- space and time are attributes. And I was like, I've it all along um, that, that was that was the case i just didn't know if anybody else would see it uh, yeah because i knew it i knew for a fact that i was like i was like this isn't this can't be it yeah uh, and he pointed it out and i was like yep and i can give you some concrete historical examples of this too yeah so you that, gotta have to so i really do think you have to say something interesting about the nature of god that explains why god has to create yeah and so one way to go is um there's a couple options. One is to say, well, God's perfectly rational. We all know that. And they like, yeah, okay, I'm sure. Everybody agrees on that. They're like, yeah, mm-hmm. but like, there's a best possible world. Uh, okay. And like, God has to create a best possible world. And they're like, okay, well, that doesn't necessarily tell me anything interesting about the nature of God. So that, yeah. mm, okay, what's going on here? Because everybody says God's perfectly rational. So what yeah. you're really doing is you're saying, well, there's a best possible world. So you're not saying anything interesting about God. You're saying something about oh, yeah, creation. Yeah, right, right, right. So you've not demarcated well, there's this other crazy thing you can say about the nature of God that a lot of people flirt with, but don't like to fully go on in. And this is about uh, the nature of goodness being necessarily diffusive. Mm. And so sometimes this is called the Dionysian principle because it's you, you see it in pseudo Dionysius. Yeah. And so the nature of goodness is to be necessarily diffusive. Uh, so the idea would be if, you, if, it, if the thing's like perfectly good, it just has to create more goodness. Yeah, it just it just has to it just has to keep multiplying more and more and more as much as it possibly can, and a lot of people in the classical tradition flirt with it. Even a bunch of open theists, like so, like Richard Swinburne, uh, William Hasker, uh, Keith Ward. So these kind of open theist sort of guys, yeah, they even they even flirt with this principle. Everybody loves flirting with this principle, but hardly <laughs> anyone wants to just go all in and be like, "Yep, God has to create." Yeah, and yeah. so the pantheists just go stop flirting with it put a ring on it like let's just go for it <laughs> right god has to create well um
0: yeah this this principle i've seen come up um i, I wonder i think maybe caught uh class craze using that to to motivate the multiverse mm-hmm. uh so god ha- would have to create a multiverse um but i'm sure he has like a if god were to create then so it's kind of conditional but um yeah. yeah so so god would have to necessarily create and i can't remember if we talked about this or not but well, I mean, we got to fit our model of physics in there. And so if mm-hmm. like Big Bang cosmology is what's up today, would would they just go with like a bang crunch type type thing? God's body is a bang crunch that it's mm-hmm. collapsed and, and
1: grown. Yeah, that's what you see uh, with Tom Ord. And then you also, or at least he lays that out in one paper. I don't know if he's like fully committed to that, but he's like, yeah. at the very least, you can say it's a view that he thinks is interesting. It's impossible space, you know, yeah. you could affirm it. But that's certainly what you see in a lot of Hindu philosophers. I mean, it really wow. is the case from all eternity, God has been creating a universe and then the universe lasts for one day of Brahman, um, which I forget exactly how long that is. Cause they've got, there's some debates about the exact calculations of what, okay. how long a, a day of, of, of Brahman is. Um, but it's in the, it's like in the millions of, of billions of years kind of thing. Okay. And so okay. I'm like, if you want to debate, like, is this like debating like the age of the universe? Is it 13? Yeah, is it 13 thinking. and a half billion years? And right. you know, I'm like, I don't care, whatever. It's old. Yeah. <laughs> So that's the claim is like, so God kind of like he wakes up and he breathes out this universe. And and then as he's about to go to sleep at night, as the way the metaphor goes, well, then he destroys the universe. Mm. And then in between the universes, there's this state of quiescence is the phrase uh, where God and all the souls that have not been reincarnated again, because there's nothing to be reincarnated in at this moment because the universe has been destroyed. Right. So God and all these souls are just hanging out. And then after that, God creates another universe and reincarnates all the souls again. Okay. And He just has been doing that forever and ever for all eternity.
0: Wow. Yeah, that sounds like a bang crunch. That's Mm -hmm. wow. That's wild. And it's been here the whole time,
1: over in yeah. uh, Oh yeah, yeah. It's a very ancient view.
0: (laughs) Wow. 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 Okay. Dang, dude, this is getting me going. So I uh, I got kind of obsessed with like simulation hypothesis type stuff Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I work on in a campus ministry and and students bring it up to me all the time Mm. so i I got him pretty deep into the weeds and this guy uh rizvon virk is a computer engineer uh computer game engineer and he wants to connect all these things together eastern and western he's trying to use it all with the simulation and then uh um what's his name uh i can't think of his name right now his book's around here somewhere um like bostrom or something no no uh um close but uh The consciousness guy, the hard problem. uh, Oh, Chalmers. Yeah, Chalmers just came out with this book, Reality Plus, and he's kind of doing some similar stuff. Mm. And uh, I want, like, it's coming. I think if it's not here yet in the in the literature, but like models of God and simulation hypothesis, Mm. and like, (laughs) and it and it's just popping up in my head that like, yeah, when he goes to sleep, it's like that doesn't have to be analogical on the video game hypothesis.
1: Uh, It's like the kid's logging off, right. Yeah. You could take that really literally. Right. I mean, cause the, cause that's the way the Hindu philosophers want to go is they're like, well, God's not literally sleeping, but like, right. you know, they just use it to describe, you know, the universe comes to an end. Mm-hmm. And then basically you do push pause on all the souls. Yeah. You know, uh, they're, just, they're just, cause they're not really like thinking or experiencing anything. You just press pause on them. Yeah. And then when God's ready, he creates the next one, next universe and everything. So yeah, yeah. you could, yeah, you could take, you could push a video game analogy pretty far yeah. uh, with, with this kind of thinking. Yeah. I'm not like
0: I don't like it. I don't want it to happen, but <laughs> I think it's happening. It it just pushes the it pushes the problem back a step because then you go, well, okay, wherever base reality is, however many levels you gotta go through, let's mm-hmm. talk about that, whether we're in yeah. or not. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, dude. So I, I have one more for you. Um mm-hmm. physicalism and the incarnation. And this might mm-hmm. not come up in, in class and stuff like that, but it's something you've you've been going back and forth on. And mm-hmm. I was so pumped because I was uh over the weekend, I was at the Society of Christian Philosophers, and um, we were talking a little bit about physicalism. And JT Turner gave a gave a uh, presentation, and I thought, "This, I don't, I can't raise it because it's not. I'm supposed to respect their paper and stuff. Oh, I mean, sure, it's not yeah. You don't pull in extra random crap. But I was like, Yeah, what about you know Christ's incarnation? If you're a Christian physicalist. Like Christ has an immaterial soul. We want to say God's immaterial, but yet he's inhabiting this body. So it doesn't seem like a problem. And then I just looked up this morning that you had a paper on this. I'm like, dang, this is awesome, man. Can can you recall some of that? I know I'm pulling from all your stuff here.
1: Yeah, no, I've got two papers on it. Um, So the first one is in this book called Christian Physicalism. Yeah, that's right. And then um, Keith Hess uh, spotted a hole in the argument. And once he spot once he pointed it out, I could not unsee it. And so I was like, <laughs> okay, I got to, I got to fix, I got to fix it. Um, so what I did was I took aim at Trenton Merrick's because he's the, because in terms of like physicalists who've written on the incarnation, there's not a lot of good literature out there. Right. There's some people who just go, oh, I love materialism, new materialism. I'm like, okay, that's, that's, but what does that mean? And right. you know, he's incarnate, he's material. And I'm like, okay, okay, fine. Say materiality one more time. I swear. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, whereas Trent Merricks is like, oh yeah, okay. Here's you know, here's the doctrine of the incarnation. Here's um, you know, my materialist uh, uh, philosophical anthropology, and, and here's how they work together. Yeah. Uh, and so here, so here's what I tried to do is I tried to argue, okay, if you want an incarnation. And you want to have this physicalist account, you're still not going to be able to satisfy what's called the in hypostasia and hypostasia distinction. In and an? Correct. Okay. So, an hypostasia means not a person. So, the human nature is not a person. Yeah. Uh, and so, the claim is that, like, this human nature would not be a person unless it is impersoned in hypostasia by God the Son. Yeah. So the son brings his personhood to this human nature.
0: Yeah. And that, so the I idea mean, is
1: that's how you avoid Nestorianism. But isn't that Apollinarianism? Uh, well, that's what a bunch of critics of the Fifth Ecumenical Council said. They're like, okay. you just brought back Apollinarianism. Yeah. Uh, and it, it gets really muddy and controversial after that. Okay. Um, but But that was the idea. So... So the, so the claim from like, uh, Merrick's is okay. Well you say you want to be like really traditional, you know, you're like, okay, so you want to say God, the son adopts or not adopts because that's adoptionism. You're being really blatant <laughs> about what your heresy is there. Uh, he assumes an assumption okay. is not adoption. We swear. Uh, okay. he assumes a soul and a body. Yeah. And Merrick's is like, <clears throat> come on that a soul. A soul that's just a person and a body, a soul in a body. That's, that's a human person. He's just assuming a human person. That's just Nestorianism on, on its face. Yeah. Like you can dance around as much as you want. That's, that's, it's on its face. Yeah. But, but Merrick's is like, I got an answer for you. Get rid of that that pesky soul. Stop being dualist guys. Like, uh, if it's just a body, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no Nestorianism. Yeah. And so my move was to go, ah, you still get Nestorianism. Ha ha. Um, was, was the big idea.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh how how'd you how'd you get that? How'd you pin them on that? So this is where um well I'll lay out what I do and then I'll point out what Keith has uh, uh argued and was like, Yeah, you got a hole here. So and then I can explain how I fix it. Yeah. So the idea is to go, okay, um, now if you want to have this in hypostasia and hypostase distinction. So the human nature is not a person, it is okay. only a person because the sun brings his personhood to it. And I'm like, well, okay. Well, if say you're a physicalist a human body what that's a that's a human person yeah so it would be a human person even without the incarnation uh, so the son's not bringing his personhood to to the table because that thing the, the i mean a human organism I mean, that, that that is a that is a person already yeah so no 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 uh, you can't you can't violate this sti- uh, you violate this distinction and you might go well well it, it would be a person uh, it, unless it's assumed uh, and at the very first moment of its of this nature's existence, this physical body's existence, uh, the sun assumes it. So therefore it never had an opportunity to to develop its own personhood. And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, that's fine. You could do that. You, you know, you know who else did that? Theodore Vapsustia and Nestorius. Uh, <laughs> and they, and they were kind of condemned for making these statements. But you know, yeah. you can do these things. You can you can do this if you want. Um, yeah. is, is what I pointed out. Uh so that was kind of the argument to go like if this is a problem for for substance dualism, it's gonna be a problem for physicalism as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, I wonder. There's like this uh, two thinkers problem for like an, an animalist take, where mm-hmm. it's like you're a person and you're an animal. You know who's doing the thinking? There's two mm-hmm. thinkers, and it's it it might even be like three thinkers in Christ's case because you know he's got an immaterial. He is God. He has got a spirit. Mm-hmm. So now you got three thinkers going on. If you're if you take an animalist uh, approach to physicalism, so uh, yeah,
1: I don't I don't know uh, Hesse's uh, whole. What, what? So, so there was this really obvious problem. I should I should have thought of it uh, as soon as again as soon as he pointed out, I could not unsee it. Hmm. Uh, so Merrick's he doesn't care about being like super traditional on every single sure. detail, sure. and I was assuming in the argument the way I lay out the argument, I'm assuming he is, but this just not true. Um, so on his view, the, there's not this human nature that com- like that's just like kind of laying around, and the that the son assumes. On his view, it's it's um it's not assumption. It's it's a transformation. So mm-hmm. God the Son transforms into a wholly holy material object. Whoa! So he ceases to be immaterial and becomes entirely material. Whoa, dude! Yeah, that, that's wild. Yeah, it is. And most people just go no. So like Brian Leftow, um, Robin Lee and a few others, they just go that's that's just not possible. You can't have a a non physical object become in an- a physical object like that's just that's just is oh, just a non-starter yeah don't but, you that's, have, like, but some, that's a claim
0: like so, well yeah like he, if if he's essentially spirit maybe you say he's not maybe he's just that's an accidental property that God is that God the son at least is spirit mm-hmm. oh man that's so but don't you have like does he have trinity concerns like now the son is like like wholly separate from the father and the spirit
1: um i'm trying to remember i can't remember if he's written on the trinity at any point uh he might not i mean i know he affirms the trinity because i know he's you know he's, he's a christian he affirms lots of these sort of things but he might not yeah. have thought enough about it or he might just go yeah what's the problem who cares yeah um, you got indwelling of the holy spirit maybe and yeah yeah and there's still ways to have them connected uh I or you might just say well just because he ceases to be Holy immaterial. Why should I think he's disconnected from this, the father and the son or the father and Holy spirit? Like give me the details here.
0: Yeah. If we're and and if we're physical and we're not disconnected, like could we have the Holy spirit? We can have
1: relationship,
0: but yeah, we don't want to, we're not, I'm not in the Godhead though.
1: Yeah. um, So yeah, I don't, I guess I can see the worry you're raising and I think it's, it's the right one, but I think Merrick's can easily just put his foot down and go, you got to spell out exactly what the problem is because yeah. I'm not seeing it and you just kind of going, well, but it uh, you know? <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah.
1: He's just like, well, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, lots of things yeah. don't feel right, but uh, right. You know, who cares? Right. So, so yeah. yeah, so I think that that'd be the challenge. Uh, and I think the right sort of challenge from him is to be like, give me some details uh, yeah. and then and then we can start working it out. Okay. Um, but yeah, so what I had to do in this response paper to, to Keith Hess. Uh, that's just came out in philosophia Christie. i think it was a few months ago now mm-hmm. his his paper critiquing me and then me going like yeah okay, okay i need to fix this uh so what i do is i go okay let's do two moves one going okay i trent merrick's claims he's giving me the like you know like the, the, the ecumenical account of the incarnation mm-hmm. and i'm like well if he wants to go with this transformation account that's not that's not the ecumenical account because the All ecumenical right. account says god cannot change and god is impassable and you've got God, the Son clearly undergoing a, a huge change yeah. and, uh, and being passable in all these sort of ways. So if you want ecumenical and physicalism, you, this isn't it. Yeah. If you don't care about getting the entire, all the details of the, of the ecumenical creeds, then, you know, no problem. But you told me you were going to give all me right. an ecumenical view and you didn't. So yeah. that's the first move. Um, the second move is to go, okay, well, let's look at somebody who also is a physicalist. And so this guy named, um, uh, Glenn Andrews people people's people's that's right it's plural um and and so he has this really cool paper on physicalism and the incarnation in the uh rutledge handbook to uh theological anthropology
0: okay
1: yeah so it's a really good paper uh and he tries to lay out how you do this and so he doesn't have a transformational account and so what he does is he has god the son assuming just a a body okay that's it um because he's like that's what a human person is Uh, and so you can say like the soul meaning it's, it's a mind because, but that physicalism says minds are identical to like, you know, this physical substance. So we can capture all the ecumenical language might not like the way it does, but it captures all of the language. And so I'm giving you this, this assumption relation and not a transformation account of the information.
0: That, so, I mean, that sounds like a type of dualism, right? Like you have a body and you have a material soul. And so dualism is possible, right? Mm -hmm. So like, but well, that that might be a good argument
1: for dualism. It seems like <laughs> it should be because I remember thinking this when I first started looking into this stuff. Um I was because it was t- when I originally first started thinking about this it was in my undergrad thesis and I was looking at Nancy Murphy's account of like physicalism and I'm like she keeps saying like all these interaction problem and all this kind of stuff and I'm like you have been participating in this divine action research agenda for years developing all these ways for how god interacts mm-hmm. with the physical world. Yeah why 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 can like god like do all this interaction stuff but yeah. a soul can't right like i i, I don't know uh, i feel like whatever arguments you have like the winds is cut entirely out of the sails like it's just this this can't be the case
0: yeah man i i, I catch that too and i've i've caught that from like the panentheist type stuff where they'll those who are dualists uh well it's kind of weird to think about a dualist but they they talk about this interaction problem and they're like look if If, you know, the universe is God's body and you can interact with it. Okay. And then I think maybe Swinburne pulls a move uh, similar to that. It sounds something like that where like the universe is metaphorically uh, God's Mm. body like that.
1: Oh. Yeah, so Swinburne does do that because um so Swinburne lays out these five criteria for embodiment. I can't remember all five of them off the top of my head, but the move to say he he does is like he's like well not every single criteria is satisfied by God's relationship to the universe. Okay. So it's not a full embodiment because okay, so one of the criteria is you get like some kind of like input output, like sensory input and output from a from a from a body. And you be like okay, well God's got interaction with it. So like there's some sensory input and god has control over the body so it's another condition for embodiment but another condition though is like the the body is sort of like your your uh your locus for viewing the world so i'm my all my perspective on the world it's coming from right here from yeah, this right. chunk of matter here right. not from you know the chunk of matter over there and he's like well that's not the case with god cuz cuz god's like not like his locus isn't just from like you know some chunk of matter or something yeah yeah that's good that's really
0: good, dude. This has been awesome, man. We've we've gone through so much. So hopefully that gives everyone a taste of mm-hmm. uh, what well, God and time and creation. We've gone through a lot of that stuff. And so just imagine uh, four eight-hour days of this, and then you get to do a research proposal and and ask uh, Dr. Mullins here. Hey, is this dumb? Is this cool? Is, what do you think? And it's awesome. So I'm I'm like seriously looking forward to it, man. It'll be um, I believe it's January twenty twenty three. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So like just a, just a year from now, mm-hmm. and um, I'm lo- I'm really looking forward to it, man.
1: Yeah, it should be really good. Yeah, so I, I'm super excited. Uh, I was chatting with Paul Gould yesterday about it, and he's very excited. So, yeah, this is this is gonna be fun. Yeah, it's gonna be sweet to to like see you in person too. Like, known you now
0: for a couple of years, we've talked, and it'll be good to see how tall you are and see you mm-hmm. all that good stuff. I'm always surprised by people's <laughs> heights when I when I see them in person. <laughs> Yeah, this is awesome. Um, Well, sweet dude. So I'm going to, I'm going to drop a link. I think Paul is making a link right now where people can like sign up for the class or get, get to know the program a little bit more. Um, and if you're interested in this kind of stuff, if you want to go deeper than, um than just like the apologetics type stuff, nothing not against apologetics, man, I got into philosophy uh, because of apologetics, but if you want to go deeper and if you want to know different models of God and how God relates to time and explain those to people in, in. The cutting edge literature, right? Join this class. Like come study with me. Be my uh, cohort and we can we can continue to learn more from uh, Dr. Ryan Mullins here. Um, Ryan, before before I let you go, man, where can people find your work in the meantime? We got like a year for them to bone up and uh, and develop really good questions for you.
1: Mm-hmm. So the main place to go is RTmullins.com there you can find links to a bunch of my papers not all of them and you can find links to some of the books and then my podcast the reluctant theologian podcast
0: awesome awesome man yeah and i love i love all that stuff so i'll I'll put a link to uh, the podcast in the link in the description uh for again if you guys like this podcast if you want to keep me around uh please can consider becoming a patreon patron you can find a link in the description and check out my sponsor uh biblios clothing company uh, if you use the promo code in the link in the description, then you can get 10% off your entire order for, I think it's the rest of this, of February. So get on that, buy some stuff, make me look good. That'd be awesome. Ryan, thanks so much for for coming back on the podcast. Can't wait to do it again. You, you got to come on before, uh, before this intensive though.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, awesome. Happily.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, it's going to have to do it for now, folks. This has been Parker's Pensies and as always, all glory to God.